don't look back before you go eyes forward choices to make dreams to realize don't look back before you go know the truth learn to let go don't look back before you go before you leave me what if dreams came true and you could be who you wanted to be you could do what you wanted to do and you could help who you wanted to help what if dreams came true and the world opened up and you were never ever afraid dreams came true but dreams do come true don't they episode number 177 blast points this is jason and it's gabe it's episode 177 and it's month seven of phantom menace year phantom menace year phantom menace never stops it's gonna go forever can't stop won't stop phantom menace year don't stop until january 2020 all the way, riding this Phantom Menace train all the way through 2019. It doesn't stop till it's Rise of the Skywalker year. <laughs> we're, till we're forced off the train by Rise of Skywalker. That's, Rise of Skywalker is going to show up and tell us to get off. <laughs> Give it a rest. <laughs> Kylo Ren in the conductor hat. Everyone off this train. The party is over. <laughs> the past has died. Time to stop talking about that old movie. Get off the party train. It is month seven of Phantom Menace Year. And this month, we are talking all about the novelization of The Phantom Menace by Terry Brooks. An often overlooked piece of Phantom Menace history, I feel like. I feel like it's when people talk about some of the better Star Wars novelizations, Phantom Menace is often brought up. But some of the finer points of this novel, I don't feel like are discussed enough. 
Well, it's hard enough to get some people to even watch the movie, let alone read the book. <laughs> true, true. I'm not too surprised. I feel like the, this novel, the Revenge of the Sith novel, um, the Last Jedi novel, get a lot of love. Maybe the New Hope novel, but I don't know. Like going back and reading it again for this episode. I mean, I have not read this book since before the movie came out. Which it's it's fascinating that this book was published. It came out on April twenty first, nineteen ninety nine, almost a whole month before the May nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine release of the movie. Like if that doesn't tell you how much has changed in twenty years. <laughs> Like, could you imagine the Rise of Skywalker novel coming out a whole month before the movie? No, that's great. Yeah, I don't even remember that it was out that early. That's kind of nuts. But yeah, I I don't see anyone letting people do that anymore. But it's like, everyone was, we survived. It was fine. If you wanted to read it, you read it. If you didn't, you didn't. I flipped out and I bought the novel and the illustrated screenplay at the same time. And I read the illustrated screenplay first, but I remember reading this novel and just devouring it like like I was in the middle of a desert and I found like a cup of water that was me reading this book like <laughs> just just attacking it and I rem- like reading it again like it was all coming back to me like in May of or April 99 reading it and just being like oh my god this movie is going to be incredible. In just another month, I'll get to see all this stuff. This will be the greatest movie of all time. Which, it's when I read it again, getting ready for this episode, it really made me pause for a moment and be like, when I went to go see The Phantom Menace, and like everybody, like we all know, like I took my shirt off and I passed out in the lobby of the theater afterwards. I wonder how much of that was having like this awesome awesome book kind of already in my head and then finally seeing it on screen and like i already had spent like almost a month with this story in my head i can't even imagine no it's true because it does it pretty much tells you the movie but it is very different reading the words versus seeing the movie and i think because i and i never read this book until like last week <laughs> so I totally missed out reading this book. I guess I did read the Attack of the Clones novelization, but that was after I saw the movie and I did listen to the audiobook of Revenge of the Sith before I saw the movie. So maybe that's a closer comparison for me to you with this, but I think it is just because the Star Wars movies are so they're visual movies, I just never felt like reading the book ahead of time. I would rather just see what's going to happen, but now going back and reading it, it's interesting like how things that I've seen a hundred times with my eyes kind of hit me differently in my mind when I'm reading about them. And there were things that I like, oh, I never noticed that in the movie before. Did that really happen in the movie? I don't remember that just because it's it's such a different part of your brain reading about it than seeing it. And as we get into the details of the book, it's it's such a good read because it it enhances what you know of the Phantom Menace and the whole prequel trilogy, but there's moments in here that we'll get into that even echo into the sequel trilogy. Yeah, some of the kind of backstory and thoughts of the characters, it's it's always fun when you read the movie adaptations trying to figure out how much was notes or information from 
the movie creators and how much was just the authors kind of filling in the blanks. But there was a lot in this book that is still coming true 20 years later. <laughs> there, there were moments where I was rereading it where I literally had to put the book down and just kind of be like, well, well, damn it. And just like stare off into space like, oh, man. <laughs> all the answers are in here. <laughs> it's been sitting there on the shelf all these years. Well, what's the history of the Phantom Menace book? How did it happen? Wait, uh, in a June 1999 uh, interview with Writer's Digest author Terry Brooks, um, was talking all about the creation of the book. Now, Terry Brooks, before this, he was an interesting choice to write the novel because he was already a very established fantasy writer. He gets the call from Delray if he'd be interested in a novelization job. And his quote was, he would rather be tarred and feathered. <laughs> so I guess years and years earlier, he had he wrote the novelization for the Steven Spielberg hook. Peter Pan movie, Hook. And I guess he had a horrible experience writing the Hook novel. He said he wasn't interested, but then uh, the person from Delray says, but this is for the new Star Wars. And I guess Terry Brooks, when he got the phone call, he was in the middle of a mall, like a shopping mall with his kids. And he saw his kids and he was thinking, how could I ever tell my kids I said no to Star Wars? So he said if he did it, he wanted to meet with George Lucas, hear his vision for the whole thing. And Del Rey said, well, that's good because that's what he wants to do with you, too. And the next week or something, he flies out to Skywalker Ranch, sees rushes from the film, reads the script, and meets with George Lucas and a bunch of Lucasfilm people and gets the job. And it took him. he said it took him about 100 days to write the book. He said him and Lucas got along wonderfully. It could make sense there. They're around the same age. I guess he asked Lucas, he said, uh, why do you want me to do this? Because I don't write science fiction. And George Lucas said, well, that's good because I don't make science fiction movies. Star Wars is a fantasy movie and he got a prolific fantasy author. So it makes sense. I guess in their talks, Lucas said he wanted the book to be a different experience than the movie. Um, it gave him lots of room to expand on things. He gave him copious amounts of notes. And Terry Brooks's quote was, he said, it's not really a novelization, but a novel. George Lucas's instructions were, he said he wanted the book to focus more on Anakin. Which is interesting, because I guess he said to him, like, Anakin doesn't get enough to do in the movie. And he wanted the book to hone in on Anakin, which it very much does. It's, I think is one of the incredible strengths of the book. So I guess when Terry Brooks was writing... He he got to the part, uh, the midichlorians, the, Mr. Qui-Gon, what are midichlorians? And I guess he like, oh, at that moment, he was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Seriously, yeah, what are midichlorians? And he called George Lucas up. And I guess he was just like, George, I got to this part on midichlorians. I don't get, and then he said, that's about as far as he got. And then there was about an hour and a half of Lucas just going over Everything, the midichlorians, the history of the Jedi, the history of the Sith. And Terry Brooks was just taking notes, like fiercely writing down everything Lucas was saying. And I guess at one point, Terry Brooks asked if he could use that in the book. And Lucas said, oh, yeah, that's fine, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so he finishes the book. It comes out. And I remember it getting a lot of hype and a lot of anticipation when it came out. And I, 
I don't think I was really paying attention to what like what the reaction was to the book when it came out. I know I loved it. I was working at a bookstore around the period of time when it came out, and I just remember there were like lots of collectors because it came out in four different covers, and people would come in and buy all four covers. <laughs> That's all I remember. I bought the cover with Anakin on it because I I don't know I I thought it was like Anakin's story and I thought that was the most that was the most rep- representational of what was inside I don't know but uh, I would love Terry Brooks to come back and I wonder if he ever would return to Star Wars fiction now I would God I can can you imagine it was funny because for a while I was thinking that he wrote another Star Wars novel, and then when I went and checked, he hadn't. So, but I would love for him to write an original novel, like maybe with his own characters, or even a short story for one of like the like certain point of view kind of books or something. Yeah, that would be neat. It's a pretty incredible read, and I mean, no wonder it blew my mind in back in '99. It blew my mind in 2019 again. And it does it does do a good job of it's kind of downplays the big moments from the movie a little bit, like the pod race is like what one chapter because they're kind of saving that for the movie, but then yeah, there's a bunch of chapters of things that didn't happen in the movie or little connective scenes between the parts of the film, so it does kind of work well in tandem with the movie because it's not trying to out movie the movie. Let's start digging into it let's start. Going into the book, right away, our first chapter, you know, you you open up the book and you're like, oh, you know, this isn't Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan landing on the Trade Federation ship and Captain tell them we wish to board at once and all that. It's something totally new in the beginning, right? We actually get the backstory to something that's just mentioned in the movie, which is the race that Anakin was in when he destroyed Watto's pod. And got and Sebulba flashed his vents at him, and I guess that kind of ties in with why they could kind of downplay the second pod race because we actually get a, a whole nother pod race at the beginning, and it's a good introduction to Anakin because it kind of starts to talk about his connection to the Force with just how he's racing. And I loved it right away, the first chapter introducing us to Anakin, where it does put Anakin more front and center in the story with this and and then the next chapter we're getting to where we spend like a good chunk of the beginning of the book, just getting to know this little boy on tattooing and getting really kind of in his head. And if anything, it it almost made me think about, uh, it was kind of like being at galaxy's edge a little bit (laughs) of what it might, what it must be like to the people who've been lucky enough to go was like Anakin wandering around with the, uh, with the aliens and buying weird drinks with Bunny, he scrounged from his friends. Meeting Anakin this early in the book, too, reminded me a lot of how A New Hope originally was going to cut to Luke watching the space battle from the farm on Tatooine. The whole idea of introducing Luke very early into the movie and kind of telling us, oh, there's this boy out there. And then also early in the film, we would have had the whole scene with Luke and uh, Biggs and Cammy and Fixer on Anchorhead and all that stuff. We're much earlier in A New Hope, we would have been introduced to Luke and kind of be like, this is our main character. A New Hope and Phantom Menace are kind of similar in that way, where we meet the focus of the story while we've already seen a whole bunch of other stuff go on before that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point that it is kind of like a novel version of 
the original New Hope with yeah, Anakin and his friends just kind of goofing around and talking about his dreams and meeting the the old spacer at a bar who tells him he's a good pilot and oh my god so this old spacer part i when i first read this book this part made me sweat he's got a republic insignia on him he's telling anakin that he saw him in that pod race and he liked it and this old spacer like flew all his life and he flew with jedi knights and like Anakin and Kitster like start freaking out, like, oh my god, like Jedi, like you know like real Jedi knights. And Annie says, I always want to fly those ships. Wald, always the stinker, says, You're a slave, Annie. You can't go anywhere. And the pilot has this awesome line. This is one part where I had to put the book down and just go stare off into space. In this life, you're often born one thing and die another. You don't have to accept that what you're given when you come in is all you'll have when you leave. Whoa. It's kind of an explanation of Star Wars right there. You can pick any character throughout Star Wars and think about that line and say it's about them. From Kylo Ren to Luke Skywalker to Darth Vader to Han Solo to 2-1-B, everybody. Who knew 2-1-B would have feet eventually? (laughs) 2-1-B did not have to accept what he was given. 2-1-B came into the world one thing, and he left another. Sir, it will take quite a while to evacuate the T-47. So Anakin goes back to Shmi. He promises her he won't race pods anymore. And then that night, Anakin's laying in bed, and he's, he has his first of a very important thing throughout this book, Anakin's dreams. And that night, he dreams of a future of flying where he'll leave Tatooine with his mother and one day he'll even fly with Jedi Knights. Which we we go back to Anakin's dreams over and over again throughout this book. Every single time it's interesting and we'll and we'll get into it in a little bit more, but this this first time it's like I remember reading it in ninety nine, it was kind of like, oh, what does this mean? But now having seen all the prequel films, and especially even the Clone Wars, adding even more. It gives all of these Anakin dream moments just like a heavy thing of just bummer town, man. Like, oh, man. Because you got this, you know, you're getting into nine-year-old Anakin's head of like his dreams for his life and his hopes and his am- ambitions. and You get a hint of that in the movie, but not like in this book. Well, that's, I kept thinking kind of how a lot of the stuff that's hinted at in the tone poems is kind of realized in the novel more than the film with Anakin talking about dreams. And even later on, uh, Anakin says the line about fear attracts the fearful, which Darth Maul steals for his tone poem, right? Hey, what was going on there? <laughs> like, <laughs> like when we were, when we were on sky talkers show, we were like wondering like who wrote the tone poems. And then, yeah, there's lines from the tone poems in this book. Yeah, did Terry Brooks write the tone poems? You know, I wouldn't be surprised. There was something going on there. Fear. Fear attracts the fearful. The strong. The weak. The innocent. The corrupt. Fear. Fear is my ally. 
so then kind of after that, we start to get into kind of the straight adaptation of the movie. We get all the stuff on the Trade Federation ship. Did you catch anything interesting going on in there? Yeah, nothing at the beginning with the Trade Federation, but when they get down to Naboo and we meet up with Boss Nass, there's quite a bit more Boss Nass dialogue, which is always great. And at the end, I think it, it gets a little dark where when uh, Qui-Gon asks what's going to happen to Jar Jar, Boss Nass says he's going to be pounded unto death. So <laughs> it, it's a, his punishment seemed a lot more harsh in the book. And then going into the bongo scene, there was a lot more discussion between the three of them. But I think the thing that really jumped out to me that it still makes me chuckle is basically the line from Phantom Menace that set the tone for the prequels. There's always a bigger fish isn't there. And the line they Qui-Gon says is, let's hope that's all the snack he requires. <laughs> After the aqua monster eats the, uh, the other guy. So I, it's just like, I wonder if that was in the script at some point and they just, they added the, there's always a bigger fish later on or that was just Terry Brooks clever wordplay. I don't know. In the illustrated screenplay book, Pounded to death is in there. Boss Nass does say Jar Jar will be pounded to death. But the Qui-Gon line about the snack is not in there. So that might have been something straight from Terry Brooks. That's like if there's a bright center to the universe, it's the planet that it's farthest from. It's the that of the Phantom Menace book. (laughs) But then after that, yeah, we get into some new stuff, right? The Anakin and the Jawas and Watto and... It gets a little crazy. So Anakin is, he's working for Watto. It's like a week after the whole conversation with the spacer guy. Uh, Watto wants him to go get some droids from some Jawas out beyond the Dune Sea. Anakin goes and gets C-3PO, which is a great moment where you're kind of in Anakin's head and he talks about how he named him C-3PO because he's the third member of his family with him and Shmi. Anakin goes and he gets on a little speeder and he goes out beyond the dune sea. And I mean, I just loved imagining the visual of little Jake Lloyd with like goggles and gloves, like flying a land speeder with C-3PO. And again, it echoing a new hope with Luke and 3PO going out looking for R2 out beyond the dune sea. Well, and just, yeah, little Jake Lloyd, Anakin, like negotiating, using the force to get a good deal from the Jawas, like... We need a Forces of uh, Destiny animation of that. I could just watch a whole two-hour movie just about Little Annie. Just the day-to-day of Little Annie. So he's coming back. He's got all these droids that he's got to bring back for Watto. He's going back to Mos Espa, and he finds a Tusken Raider pinned under a rock, unconscious. So he gets all these droids that he's got from the Jawas to help him lift this rock up. And eventually the Tusken Raider like kind of wakes up. Anakin and the Tusken Raider just stare at each other. Tusken Raider passes back out. Anakin makes like a splint like for his leg. He wakes back up. The Tusken Raider does. And C-3PO is talking to him. Translates that the Tusken Raider is, quote, gracious. And then the Tusken Raider tells C-3PO to shut up. <laughs> but then there's like this great, great moment where it's like it's nighttime And I think Anakin has like a fire lit and him and the Tusken Raider are just staring back and forth at each other just for the longest time. Well, and then while Anakin falls asleep and is awakened by 
the rest of the tribe kind of showing up in the dark and uh, what, taking the wounded guy away. The wounded Tuscan Raider at one point says, what do you want from me? And Anakin just says to him, I don't want anything. I just want to help you. As they're carrying the wounded Tuscan Raider away, the wounded one like says something to the other ones and they turn back and look at him. I mean, here's like a speeder and droids and none of the Tuscan Raiders like touch any of that stuff. Anakin gets back home and at that night he starts having like crazy dreams. Yeah, because isn't that when he starts dreaming about his mom dying or afraid that his mom could die? He dreams he's a Jedi, he's a pilot, he's the, com- he's the feared commander of an army, and he comes back to, f- to Tatooine to free all the slaves. And there's his mother waiting for him. But before he can get to his mother, there's a bunch of sand people standing before him with their gaffy sticks raised. Lucas was just going nuts in that phone call. He drank like a six-pack of Coke and just spilled all the beans to Terry Brooks. It just makes me wonder, too, how much Lucas had planned in his head. Like, Because reading that in May of 99, you'd just be like, oh, cool, sand people. I like sand people. But you read it now and you're like, oh, my God. I think I've seen that before. So all of that, too, made me get really crazy and start just thinking about dreams. Anakin's dreams and how they get more intense through the prequel films. Like, like you said, in its tone poem, he talks about his dreams. You know, like, what is the deal with these incredibly strong force users and their, their dreams telling them of the future? It's because when you're asleep, you quiet your mind and the midi-chlorians can talk to you. No. Whoa, no. I had a dream I was a Jedi. I came back here and freed all the slaves. Have you come to free us? No, I'm afraid not. I think you have. Why else would you be here? Now you can make your dreams come true, Annie. You're free. Will you take him with you? Is he to become a Jedi? Yes. Our meeting was not a coincidence. Nothing happens by accident. You had another nightmare last night. Jedi don't have nightmares. It was a dream. Bad? Like the ones I used to have about my mother just before she died. What are we doing here? It's like something out of a dream. A night desperate to sleep. Imagine an ocean. I see it. I see the island. You've seen this place. You've seen this island. What has Ray been dreaming about since The Last Jedi happened? Like, these are the things that keep me up at night. Yeah, I would imagine there's been a lot of, a lot of dreams going on between those two. Well, and this book just shoves it right in your face, too. And we weren't even ready for this in 1999. No, we're still not ready for it in 2019. I said that's, and that's the truth. I could go on about these dreams forever. What are we, what's happening? So after that, we kind of get back into the film a little bit with the the Nemodians and occupation of Theed. Bibble still has uh, his outrageous line, but instead of the nice and simple, this is outrageous. 
he has a much longer version about occupying our cities is too outrageous for words. <laughs> so again, maybe in the was in the in the script did he say it's outrageous? And Terry Brooks had to literary it up a little bit. I also really enjoyed for some reason uh, the next scene when you when you have uh, Newt and Rune talking to Darcidius and Maul shows up. In the movie, he's Darth Maul, but in the novel, he's introduced as Lord Maul. <laughs> For those liter- literary types. A little more formal, <laughs> since it's a book. <laughs> and it's cool, too, like, when Qui-Gon, Padme, and Jar Jar, when they, when they get to Tatooine, we've spent all this time already on Tatooine getting to know Anakin. In the book, it's really neat, kind of like, as they start to arrive, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, now they're going to run into Anakin. This boy that we've been introduced to the, in the book, who's already very strong in the Force, has his own storyline going on in the book. And now this other storyline with these Jedi and this Gungan, this, this Queen of Naboo, these two storylines are now going to intersect. I don't know. I really liked that. I really thought that was really cool. And it, it made me think about like a topic we'll, we'll do in a show coming up about just the Force and the Force, like bringing these characters together who normally should never be together. Like it was the will of the force for Qui-Gon to find Anakin. I thought it was interesting that like I was saying, reading something is just hits a different part of your brain than watching something. Cause when they land on Tatooine and there's the description about how R2 is coming with them, I literally spent five minutes thinking R2 doesn't come with them on Tatooine. He stays in the ship and I had to go like get the movie out and look and like, sure enough, there he is right away. But it kind of made me appreciate kind of how subdued and understated them filming R2 on Tatooine is like he's R2-D2, but they, in I guess George Lucas documentary style, he's kind of just in the background and not really made a big deal up to the point of I've seen this movie a hundred times and I never even registered that R2's hanging out with them the whole time that they're talking to Watto and all of that. No, I had to do the same thing where I was like, no. I was like, R2 doesn't go with them. And then I was like, oh, no, wait. R2's in the room where he says, like, 3PO is naked. Like, it totally took me a little bit. I was like, oh, oh yeah, R2 is there the whole time. Man. Another thing not in the film, which I thought was interesting, is Qui-Gon kind of explaining to Padme what the deal with Tatooine is and that he knows the deal with Tatooine because he's been there before. Yeah. What is up with that? Yeah. What was Qui-Gon doing on Tatooine? It's just like a routine mission. Did he just like stop? It was like a, a layover on a flight. <laughs> right. He just needed a snack. Yeah. He went to the bathroom, he got some sushi and then he got on his next flight. Yeah. I read that too. And I was like, oh, you have, you've been there before. <laughs> Yeah, nobody told me. Because <laughs> I, I never put that together. Like I just thought, like Jedi have to do their homework when you know when he when they're walking through tattoos, like moisture farms, you know, some indigenous tribes. Yeah. Well, I also like that they make a point to describe that he's wearing the poncho because it's his farmer disguise. <laughs> it's like they'll never recognize me in this poncho, you know. Yeah. Well, and also too, he's like, let's bring the gungan because if we look extra weird, everyone will think we're a local. <laughs> Bring an orange frog man who lives underwater to a desert planet. Yeah, he'll fit. He'll fit right in. But you know, think Mos Espa is crazy. There's there's a guy with a skull in an astronaut suit walking around. 
Mos Espa is a crazy place. Yeah. Qui- you know, Qui-Gon had been there before. It was right. He knew show up at a bar with a frogman and no one's going to think twice. So we go to the scene where Anakin meets Padme and there, there's all the usual gold in there. But he, one extra thing he says in there is that he tells Padme that he is going to marry her flat out. He, it's Attack of the Clones Anakin was here all along and he's dropping the smooth talk in and yeah, not holding back. Anakin and his dreams, you know, Shmi says he can see things before they happen. Well, and he's he's hitting the Anakin smooth talker hard because after that, she says, you're just a little boy. And he says, I won't always be. One day I'll be Hayden Christensen. I've seen it in my dreams. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the book is there's a quite a bit more scenes of the two of them interacting and talking. And even though it's, a, you know, it's a line here and there, it kind of made me wish there were more scenes. They got to have more time together in the actual film. So not too long after that, our attention shifts over to Darth Sidious, where it's we're we're going into like the the balcony scene. At last, we will we will have revenge scene. But in the novel, this moment goes kind of nuts. Yeah, it goes into Darth Sidious deep cut, basically thinking about the history of the Sith, and we get quite a few paragraphs of Sith backstory, which. This this was our kind of first explanation of what the, actually the Sith was in 99. Even kind of reading it now, it's kind of like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what, what's the basics of the history of the Sith according to Darth Sidious? Well, the Sith coming into being almost 2,000 years ago, how they were a cult that worshipped the dark side. Rogue Jedi Knight left the Order, founded the Sith, goes into the whole, uh, what did they get to, more than 50 members, and they just fought amongst themselves until they ultimately ended up with two, which we get a name drop for Darth Bane, right? Yeah, who, who showed up again in Clone Wars. Darth Bane, the ancient Sith Lord, you are. And know why I am not forgotten? Created the rule of two, you did. The Sith killed each other, victims of their own greed. But from the ashes of destruction, I was the last survivor. I chose to pass my knowledge on to only one. Created a legacy so resilient that now you come before me. And, well, in Pal- Palpatine, Sidious, whatever, he's talking about his whole plan, which was like the same thing that Darth Bane had, was just biding your time, waiting for your chance, hiding in the shadows until the perfect time to strike there's another moment where i had to put the book down and just look out the window and observe nature for a minute because i was just like oh my god palpatine it's it's the long game it's like we said in the palpatine episode it's what palpatine it's, yeah, it's what palpatine has always done what he's still doing like hanging back and waiting right 
<laughs> when things get a little too crazy, stop. It's Palpa time. It's time to wait. Yeah, well, this, I think this honestly was one of my favorite little chapters here, too, because we, after we get this great Sith backstory, it cuts to um, Qui Gon basically trying to sleep and running through his head kind of some deep Jedi thought stuff. You know, thinking about Anakin, Qui Gon kind of going deep on the Force, how the Force was complex and difficult, rooted in the balance of all things. Every movement within its flow risks an upsetting of that balance. A Jedi sought to keep the balance, to move in concert to its pace and will. The Force existed in more than one plane, and achieving mastery of its multiple passages with a lifetime's work, or more. Hint, hint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Qui-Gon kind of dwelling on his own weaknesses, how he's too close to the life force when he should have been more attentive to the unifying force. He finds himself reaching out to creatures of the present, to those living in the here and now, and he has less regard for the past or the future. Uh, it was the life force that bound him and gave him heart and mind and spirit. And that's why he so empathized with Anakin in ways that other Jedi would discourage and how Obi-Wan didn't see Anakin and Jar Jar that way. He was grounded in the need to focus on the larger picture, the unifying force. He did not see the same things Qui-Gon saw. I mean, that stuff's great. And then just the whole chapter ends with minutes later, he was stretched out on the floor asleep. <laughs> I've never seen Qui-Gon sleep before. So that was great, too. That, and that's what happened to me after I read that whole chapter about Qui-Gon <laughs> meditating on the force, just passed out on the floor. But like at the beginning of this episode, I think that's why I passed out. I mean, that was me after I saw the Phantom Menace for the first time, just passed out on the floor and i think that that's why because like i think going into the phantom menace on that night in may of 99 i think i had all this stuff running through my head yeah i'm glad i didn't read the book because i might not have made it (laughs) (laughs) i had i had to think about all this stuff a little bit at a time on my own without all of this extra information because yeah nothing in this novelization seems out of character or out of place with what you saw on screen and what you know, over 20 years, we know about these characters. Like, it seems very true to the feel of the movie and to who all these characters are. It almost feels like it was written today. Like, it's a novelization of The Phantom Menace that came out for the 20th anniversary of the movie. All the stuff with the Tusken Raiders, Palpatine's long, long game. It's freaky how much it kind of is talking about the movies beyond the Phantom Menace, the stuff everyone is still obsessing about today. The movie, the Phantom Menace kind of set the tone for star Wars going forward. And this book in conjunction with the movie kind of set the tone for what star Wars is going forward since 99. After Qui-Gon's, force talk and he wakes up we get the scene where Qui-Gon kind of has his little heart-to-heart talk with Shmi talking about Anakin and where he came from there's some extra lines that aren't in the movie Uh, Qui-Gon says you should be proud of your son he gives without any thought of reward Shmi smiles and says he knows nothing of greed only of dreams he has and then Qui-Gon comes in with the special powers so even Shmi's talking about his dreams 
What were Shmi's dreams like? What kind of crazy dreams did she have when she was pregnant? Oh, boy. Because, <laughs> yeah, because then after that, in Chapter 12, there's a whole part with Anakin's dreams again, where things are getting much more dark. Uh, he's having voices coming out of the darkness, uh, a dark wave of an army marching towards him with Padme in the center of this army. Is this is this dark wave of an army, I mean, the eventual empire in, in Anakin's mind? Is it the fact that he he still believes that he caused the death of Padme, that all of this exists? Is he seeing the future that he thinks he caused and his grief and pain of this is all my fault? Heavy stuff. Heavy, heavy stuff. <laughs> and and to balance out all the heavy stuff, we get little nuggets like Ani- uh, Qui-Gon showing up to test out the pod with Anakin and he gives Anakin a power core that he shoplifted from Watto's shop. <laughs> Qui-Gon, he's a renegade Jedi. Which Anakin just, of course, thinks is so cool. His cool uncle who steals things from the convenience store. <laughs> uh, another thing I thought was neat that I don't think they hint at in the movie is that R2-D2 paints Anakin's pod for him. It's like, of course he did. That's why it's blue. That's why it looks like R2's colors, because R2 painted it. We knew R2 could paint. He could do anything. We also get the deleted Greedo fight scene, but they don't say it's Greedo. It's just a Rodinian, right? I don't think they mentioned Greedo's name. Which is, I think, possibly for the best. I, I never, I've never really complained about that scene being cut. It's a good lesson. The lesson part is good. But, yeah, Anakin just getting in a fist fight is, is a little weird. Because it's like, oh, you got to show his dark side. But it's like he didn't have a dark side yet. Kindest boy in the whole galaxy. So we get the pod race, which, like we had said, is very different than the movie and pretty much just a, a short chapter. For a little bit reading the book, I thought maybe there'd be like six chapters in the middle that were the pod race, but a little bit smarter the way he did it. One thing I thought was interesting is basically when Anakin, he wins the race and he gets freed and he's not sure he wants to go. Qui-Gon says, this path has been placed before you, Annie. The choice to take it must be yours alone, which his mom says in the movie, but Qui-Gon says in the book. And that is the way it is in the script. In the illustrated screenplay version, Qui-Gon says that line. So Brooks is working off uh, whatever version of the script there. And after that... We get extra scenes of Anakin saying goodbye to his friends and Kitster's in tears, which <laughs> more kiss, Kitster is always great. But I, I felt bad about sad little Kitster because I never thought about that. It's like his best friend basically left to go be a Jedi. It's like bad enough to be a slave, but then to lose your best friend to go do something awesome. So poor Kitster. If you just go off the movie, you could imagine that day after Anakin left. Be like, what? He left? <laughs> He's gone? He didn't even say goodbye to Kitster? And then the next thing I just got a kick out of is the they make sure to explain um, how uh, Qui-Gon had to fill out the proper forms to ensure Anakin's freedom. <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about how uh, Watto took the transmitter out of him so you don't have to worry about him blowing up. That's always been a question. I, you know, after I always wondered if there really was transmitters at all. It was just a fear tactic that Watto had. Yeah. Well, according to the book, it was real. 
and there's paperwork to prove it. I mean, if, if only there is the like Qui Gon filling out paperwork to free Anakin playset with <laughs> a Lego set. Yeah, yeah Waddle with glasses on, filling, just like, signing the signing the paper. <laughs> Sorry, Annie, but you know business is business, huh? <laughs> I'm a toy daddy. There's yeah, I don't know this book just keeps going because then when we were back in the movie, right? We get the Qui Gon. Mall fight and they escape. All that kind of pretty much follows the movie. But I like that at a certain point, there's one chapter and they he Terry Brooks just tries to figure out all these different ways to talk about Rick Ollie. And there's one part where he calls him the man called Rick. And then later on, it's the pilot Rick. Like he he wants to say Rick as many times as he can in this chapter. Yeah, that may that may end up on a t-shirt someday. I don't know. <laughs> Could be a Celebration Anaheim exclusive bumper sticker. Well, it could be the man called Rick with no K with Rick Ollie on the front and the man called Rick with a K with Rick McCollum on the back. It'd be like you could wear it. It'd be like a reversible shirt. <laughs> We're giving out too many secrets. Shh. <laughs> As we keep barreling through the rest of the book, going through the movie, what what are some other uh what are some other highlights before we get to the uh to the conclusion? I think back on Coruscant we get Anakin and Padme kind of meeting each other again, where Padme drops the bomb. How could I forget my future husband? <laughs> After he gives her the Japor snippet, so they're totally they're totally working the romance a little bit more in this book, which is kind of creepy because when they're older, the age difference isn't so different. But when it's like a, the nine year old ladies' man talking to the thirteen year old, cr- cringy. Uh, hey, it's Anakin Smooth Talker. He can't help it. All, all he knows is his dreams. What, how, how are we to judge? Yeah, it's the will of the force. I really liked how Terry Brooks did the impossible task of doing a novel version of the three-level battle between the lightsaber fight. Actually, four-level. The lightsaber fight, all the stuff with Padme, the Gungan ground battle, and then Anakin on the ship. He does it just effortlessly. And maybe it helps having watched the movie hundreds of times, but I know it flowed really well. Yeah, it was interesting that he basically tried to keep the whole four things going on at once deal from the movie. We get another swapped line where Grumpy Panaka is not as grumpy in the book. And Obi-Wan says the more likely they were wiped out when they're looking for the Gungans. Yeah, and that's what it is in the screenplay. Obi-Wan said more likely they were wiped out. <laughs> I wonder if just Hugh Quarshi was just so grumpy that they're like, give him all the grumpy lines. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's have Obi-Wan be a little more cheerful and give Hugh all the grumpy lines. Jam the doors! And I can't get enough of General Seal, who is another Gungan general that we don't, we maybe we see in the movie, but he's never named. And a lot of what I think you said in the script, a lot of his scenes were given to Captain Tarples for the movie. Yeah, it's interesting in the book and in the uh, in the screenplay during the whole Gungan ground battle. It's Jar Jar and General Seal, C E E L. Yeah, it looks like that just got kind of morphed into Tarples, which kind of makes sense. They had you know the digital character of Captain Tarples, and instead of making another kind of minor character, major character Gungan, just used kind of what they already had. And 
cool. It gives us more tarples, which I'm never going to complain about. Well, it's kind of the same thing with some of the lines, too, because I was surprised during the space battle, like, you know, the Anakin, now this is pod racing. He never says, but he says two different things. At one point, he says, I know this isn't pod racing, but he does. I don't know if you notice. At some point, Anakin said, great gobs of Bantha Poodoo, which is my favorite Jerry Lee Lewis song. <laughs> it was it was only a hit on Tatooine. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I actually spent way too much time trying to figure out if that was a Lucas line or a Terry Brooks line. I'm still not quite sure. <laughs> oh. And probably the last thing, which I thought was really cool that I kind of wish was in the movie, is when Anakin's um, ship is stuck in the hangar on the Nemodian ship. That when the battle droids come up, R2's talking to them and basically trying to talk his way out of it. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Great Gobs of Bantha Poodoo is in the script. So that's that's a Lucas. <laughs> so it probably is a little, a little, there's a, probably is a little Jerry Lee Lewis in that. He probably sang it to himself, goodness gracious, Great Gobs of Bantha Poodoo. R2 talking to the battle droids also in the script. Oh, they probably filmed that. They did film it. They just didn't add any audio. To it. <laughs> At the end of the book, we have the big parade, which, again, it's it's just so awesome because the whole scene of the parade is told from Anakin's point of view. We have this happy parade with all the Gungans marching. But the whole time, Anakin in his head is just talking about how alone he feels and how he misses his mother so much and for a minute like Jar Jar is jumping up and down and makes him laugh and Obi-Wan's promising him that he will teach him but it keeps going back to how how alone and kind of out of place Anakin feels Mm -hmm. well and he even talks about how he's aware of how everything's different now his life is completely different. Even his relationships with the people he just met is different now that Qui-Gon's gone and he's training to be a Jedi. It ends the Phantom Menace book on a very, very kind of somber, reflective note. Well, and not quite as somber. I do like just before that, we because we don't get the, the, the cute uh, Senator Palpatine saying he's watching Anakin's. Watching his career with great interest, yeah. You're right. We don't. Yeah, we don't get that, but we do get deep thoughts of Sidious kind of reacting to losing his apprentice and basically saying to himself, "Stop! It's Palpatine. I'm going to wait it out and see how how these things go." But he's right where he wanted to be. He just lost his apprentice. Yeah, he's going to have to find someone to replace Maul, but keep playing that long game. It, it sets up the rest of the prequel trilogy so well and. Yeah, whatever George Lucas told Terry Brooks in those conversations, <laughs> that guy had the knowledge. Yeah, because it is, like we were saying, with the things that are in the movie, for some reason reading them, it kind of sinks in a little bit more. And yeah, just how much the book was kind of telling you what was going to happen in the next two movies, that there was so much of it was there and you just didn't even realize it. If you can't tell, we think it's an incredible book. It's still out there, right? It's it's still available. It just they put it back out in paperback. I think when the three D version of Phantom Menace came out, it's on Kindles, audiobooks, paperback. I don't know. We recommend it highly. If if you haven't read it since nineteen ninety nine, or if you've never read it, I now is the time. Good way to bide your time before Rise of Skywalker hits and concludes the saga that was started in this book. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. 
You believe it's this boy? At last we will have revenge. I'm going to take off! Fear is the path to the dark side. Wipe them out. All of them. Rated PG. This is Jerome St. John Blake. Um, I played Masamida, Rune Harko, Oberansesis, and a few other guys in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And I'm standing here with Gabe from Blast Points Podcast and uh, looking forward to my debut appearance on his show. Watch this space. And may the force be with you. So it's that time of month where we give our giant shout out to all of you members on the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon. We love each and every one of you. Yeah, thank you so much. It helps us make the show and get you guys new Blast Points every week. And if you are a Blast Points Army member, you get some bonus episodes, which we've been having a ton of fun making those as well. So let's thank everybody. We'll start with thank you to Jesse, Robert, Nathan, Matthew, Darren, Brittany, Christina, Kevin, Gina, Timothy, Doug, Kara, Susanna, Francisco, Tim, and Chris. Lawrence, Andrew, Joseph, Randy, Sam, Robbie, David, Ryan, Dustin, Jordan, Kathy, Kit, Stephen, Allison, Aaron, Anuj, Ash, Connie, Jay, Josh, Jeremy, Ryan, Adam, Brian, Patrick, David, Joe. And thank you to John, Steve, Marie, Jay, Jason, Amy, Tracy, Dave, Terrence, Mario, Stephanie, Jonathan, Matthew, Rodney, Amy, and Craig. And Steve, Brandon, Marissa, Neil, Michelle, Sean, Brandon, Richard, Tom, Ian, Aiden, Christian, Jen, Jesse, Patrick, Jake, Emily, Amber, Sinatra, Will, Jackson, Michael, Paul, Kevin. Thank you to Carrie, Justin, Mike, Rob, Jonathan, Khadija, Angelo, John, Katie, Drack, Amy, Matt, Jeff, Olivia, John, Eric, and Todd. Thank you, each and every one of you, so much. Like we said, we're going to have a new Patreon Blast Points Army episode coming pretty soon. I think we can safely say for um, the new Spider-Man, Spider-Man Far From Home. And we've got a poll on there, too, uh, for our next commentary. So if you haven't voted, you get to pick what our next commentary is going to be. And yeah, thank you everyone again. Thank you. 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 Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people, 
Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So we say it every single week over there on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a little review, write something awesome, we will read your review on an upcoming show. And it helps the show on whatever that Apple Podcasts, Star Wars podcast chart thing helps people find the show. And don't forget to check out BlastPointsPodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and sign up for the Blast Points Super Chill Group. There's always something Star Wars going on, and it's always something good. And yet, that about wraps up episode 177 here, month seven of Phantom Menace year. We will be back next week with another all new episode. I'm sure it's going to be a good one. (laughs) Whatever it may be, you won't be disappointed. Maybe your dreams at night. You can see it in the future. You'll dream of next week's episode. (laughs) See if you can guess what it is. If maybe see whose dreams are telling them the truth. Who's really quieting their mind and listening to the will of the force. (laughs) Well, let us know out there uh, what your dreams tell you of next week's episode. But thank you, everyone. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. I see the island.